in today's show. We're talking about the LA Clippers. What on earth do we make of this team? What happened this season? What could happen in the future? Let's get into it with Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. We're here to talk about the Clippers, a team that, again, was let down by injuries a team that is chocked full of players to win now but can't win now. And uh, we've got stuff to talk about with them. There's a lot here. So, Warnie. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) All right. Let's look at the Clippers. Someone pointed this out to me the other day that I I made an error, and I don't know why I made this error, which I did make pretty clearly when I was talking about um, net rating and expected win-loss, and I was saying how a team was... Had the you know, 10, 15th best record, but 19th best net rating. Therefore, they underperformed, which or overperformed, which is clearly wrong because um, that's not how Pythagorean wins work. And I know that because rankings is just like lists of teams in order, not based on magnitude of success. So I apologize for making that error. It was when I was talking about the Atlanta Hawks saying I think they'd underperformed their um underperformed their win uh, win loss record, which was not exactly true. So it was 100% not true. So apologize for that error um, in, in talking about that. I don't know what even came across my mind just to say, well, you know, what they're 19th in or 10th in net rating, but finished 16th in record. You know, I, I think, I hope you know what I'm talking about. And I hope I'm not confusing things any further. But anyway, what I said in terms of expected win loss was wrong when I was talking about that with the Atlanta Hawks. Let's talk about what the Clippers actually did though. They ended up, despite again, and even I've made out like this is doom and gloom for this team and how bad they were. They weren't. They, they were still fine. But 44 and 38, they had a net rating of negative 0.3, which is not a particularly strong net rating. You would think that a team as good as they are would have a better net rating than that. Um, but you're still able to scrounge out victories. The 22nd best offense, the 18th best defense. Like these are not the makings of a strong team. So all of those clean the glass numbers there of you know their offense, their net rating, their defense doesn't suggest that they would be above 500 the way they are because that's just not how that works. So it was really intriguing to see them outperform and they did outperform their expected wins. Their expected wins were 40 um, according to clean the glass and they won 44 games. So they did outperform you know, all these things with their offense and their defense. They outperformed it. Some of that is is luck, some of that is coaching, some of that is players, all that sort of stuff. But so I guess when we look at the team and we think how disappointed we are in them or how bad the season might have been, we can look at a lot of these numbers, which would suggest, yeah, it wasn't a particularly strong season. But then, of course, they finished at the sixth seed in the West at 44 and 38. Their best lineup this season was, interestingly, not including Paul George, net rating of 15.5, Westbrook, Gordon, Batum, Leonard, and Zubats. That's a really intriguing lineup. The problem with that lineup is that outside of Zubats, every one of those guys is old as shit. 
Westbrook's almost 35. Kawhi's 32 and injured again. Batum's, what, 35 again. Gordon's 34. That's not to say they didn't have other good lineups because they did. And yeah, Paul George is clearly still the team's best player. But as we go through um, talking about this team and talking about what they do, like every the, the, the depth of young players and the guys that they rely upon, like those two things are, are very much not Venn diagramming as much as you'd want them to. They're very apart, those circles, which is what makes it really interesting for where this team goes from here. Look, they had other strong lineups. Don't get me wrong. Terrence Mann, George, Kawhi, Morris Zubats was a great lineup. Westbrook, George, Leonard, Morris Zubats was a strong lineup. Even one with Reggie Jackson was pretty strong. So it's not just that there was no Paul George. It was just that that ended up being the best lineup. Played 176 possessions together, which was sixth most on the team. Sixth most used lineup was their best. They have no cap space. Minus $46 million. That's how far over the cap they are. And that's what makes it difficult in terms of the Russell Westbrook situation because they didn't trade for him. They have no bird rights on him. They signed him to a minimum contract after he was bought out by the Jazz. So for him to be able to come back to this team, which we think that he would like to and they would like that to happen, he can't really take that much money. There's exception money they can take, but they're going to be in a situation with the new cap rules coming in in terms of luxury tax spending and inability to trade picks because of all the new CBA stuff that maybe they don't want to give him that. Maybe they just give him that slight raise over the minimum that they're allowed to do without dipping into an exception. And maybe if he wants more money, I don't know if he does. Again, he's 35. He's been paid $45 million, $46 million a year for the last four years. Maybe he doesn't care. He just wants to stay in LA. But if he is looking for big money or bigger money and thinks he's played himself into a larger role or larger um, contract based on what happened when he joined the Clippers, Westbrook, then he might be uh, he might be in trouble on this team. Price of brick going up. It's all going to depend on what he wants. Because if he wants yeah, 15 million a year, he can't get it here. It's impossible. If he's happy on a minimum contract or an exception level contract, or even then, like a mid-level exception, I think you've got to give it as a three-year deal. Do you want to actually sign Russell Westbrook for three years to take him to age 37? I don't know if you do. So we'll see what they do there. Mason Plumley, they can re-sign him with bird rights because they traded for him so that they've got that ability, but he's an unrestricted free agent. He's really strong in this role as a backup center. Yeah, probably out-sized, out-rolled. I don't know if that's not even a right word, but when playing as a starter in Charlotte, that's not him. Right, that's not who we should be. That's the stupidity of that organization. The problem there, again, though, is him and in, in him being the cockroach Mason Plumley or Zubats and Westbrook, really hard to play those guys together consistently because of the inability to shoot. And Plumley, just another old player. They got at the deadline to try and fix the problems. And he was strong. They didn't have a backup center. He played well in that role. And I think they'll bring him back. But they've got so many constraints. They've got a couple of restricted guys, Musa Diabete and Xavier Moon. I think Debate is worth bringing back. I think he's an interesting sort of player. I don't think he's ever going to be a starter level guy, um, but he's a guy they can bring back. They do have two two draft picks in this draft. They have pick 30. They also have pick 48 in the draft. Now, obviously, pick 30 isn't their pick. They got that one from the uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks. They lose their pick um, to the Thunder. So they'll go there. Okay, so well, yeah, yeah, okay, so you can swap that with the Clippers. If they so choose, so they is that what that happened? Yeah, I mean, they've lost. Yeah, they've lost their first round pick. Yep. Okay, that's cool. And they end up with pick thirty, which is part of which trade is this from? Um, the PJ Tucker deal. 
And then to do with the Luke Canard. Anyway, they have pick 30. <laughs> That's where we need to go. There's so many weird um, so many weird situations in terms of this. So the, the Clippers pick ends up with the Rockets. Yeah, that's what it is. The Clippers pick ends up with not the Thunder that was last year. The Clippers pick ends up with the Rockets, Rockets, and the Bucks pick ends up with the Clippers at pick thirty. According to my mock draft ADP, that's Trace Jackson Davis, a guy with really good stats, but an older player who I don't know how he fits in the NBA. But their lack of big man depth is interesting. That maybe they get him. I don't know. And then forty-eight would be Julian Phillips out of Tennessee. Not a huge amount to talk about there with him. Question, which comes in, which is the question that a lot of people have. This one is exactly from Nick. Nick, who's at Stubbsy. Is that Nick Stubbs? Is that your name? I'm getting, I guess so. Should they get rid of Kawhi, blow it up and rebuild or run it back? And I think we're going to have this question with a lot of teams. We had it with Trey Young and the Hawks. Like, do they trade away Trey Young? The Timberwolves, well, all they can do is trade away Towns, right? We, we hear this all the time. And now the thing is, well, Kawhi's injured again. Do we trade him away? And it's just, it's just not realistic, I don't think. I don't think there's any realism in this team who is opening a new stadium in the 24-25 season. They both, Paul George and Kawhi, are extension eligible. They'll both be free agents after this season with their player option. And we saw this year that when Kawhi is playing, he is a top 10 at worst player. At, at worst, he is top 10. He's probably a top five player in the NBA. He was cooking. But now another knee injury and meniscus. And he should be okay for the start of next season. But the problem is, is that you trade him away, you are definitely getting worse. I, you are 100% getting worse if you trade him away. You cannot get back a player even remotely in the same area as him. And with that new stadium opening, with Steve Barmer spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to build this team to be a contender, he knows at some point they are going to have to do something to rebuild, but this is not the point, I don't think. I think you go one more year, at least, maybe you go two more years, and you hope you catch lightning in a bottle. Because remember, this year in the NBA, look at what's happening. Right? There's no dominant team. You just need something to fall your way. And did something fall the way of the Lakers with how they're playing? Maybe. Has something fallen the way of the Sixers, of the Heat, of the Knicks? Of whatever. Like Stuff can happen at any point. And I just think with the commercial interests of the stadium, of the arena, and the fact that you were just going to be worse, but it would require trading away so many different players to actually fully retool and rebuild. You need to trade about seven players away, I reckon, to actually go young and actually rebuild. And I don't. it's more likely to me that they fire Ty Lue. I don't think they will, but that's more more likely than trading away Kawhi Leonard. I just don't think there's really any possibility of it, even though the immediate thing and the reactionary thing from people is, well, he's injured, they, they, they lost, trade him, rebuild, blow it up. And I, I, I just not, it's not a reality for as much as you get force-fed in media that teams are constantly tanking and not trying. It's actually just not true that so many teams will still push forward even when they should have tanked. Shout out to Washington. They should have blown it up. Hey, Charlotte, what have you been doing the last few years? They should have gone actually harder into these tanks to rebuild. And teams do not do that to the degree which we believe that they do. That was a long-winded preamble. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit, like the Clippers. 
It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easier to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to US customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I guess that's the end of the ad, so now I can swear. Eat shit if you're in Canada or Australia. You don't get the eBay guaranteed motors or anywhere else in the world, but US customers, you love it. So go to eBay Motors and uh, don't eat shit, or at least don't eat shit for this. Let's talk about the fun guy, Kawhi Leonard. I'm a fun guy. (laughs) It was a very, very strange season for Kawhi. Now let's go through my actual thoughts on Kawhi because sometimes a lot of things that I say get misrepresented and that's fine because I, I talk a lot and I have a lot of shows and sometimes it's not always easy to find the context of what I say or um, I'm not even always clear of what, with what I say. I had Kawhi as a late second round sort of a player um, you know, in a roto league that, that would have been really strong. But what I knew is that in April 2021, Kawhi, or sorry, May 2021, Kawhi tore his ACL. It's a 12-month injury unless you're Jonathan Isaac, but Kawhi's not Jonathan Isaac. So we were under full expectations that Kawhi would be ready to begin the season with his torn ACL. We saw him play in the preseason. He was fine. Jamal Murray tore his ACL at the same time. He was ready to go. All systems go. We knew that Kawhi would sit games. I don't have any problem with players coming back from ACL, especially elite players. An ACL injury is not what it was 15 years ago. You come back, you're the same player, basically. Even if it takes like a month or two, you are the same player. And Kawhi like, proved it. By the end of the season, he was, like, dare I say, better than what he was before he tore his ACL. He was better. What I didn't expect to happen, which skews all of the value from him, is he came back and then something weird happened between the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season. And I don't think it's anything to do with Kawhi, to be honest. There was some sort of weird swelling or something going on with his knee. He came off the bench and played limited minutes, and then he sat out like a week or two. And then he came back. He started, and then he sprained his ankle. And people just decide that he is just a complete write-off of a season for Kawhi. Um, he sits every second game. He sits healthy rests all the time. And that, I'm sorry, is complete bullshit. It just isn't. He actually played two back-to-backs. Yes, there was a weird situation where one of those games where he stopped at halftime, and there's conjecture about him being aloof with the team. And I can't speak to any of that. I don't know that that's true. But what I do know is the facts is that Kawhi missed games at the start of the season because of a problem with his knee. And then he missed games at the start of the season because of a problem with his ankle. And then he played basically every single game outside of a couple of back-to-backs over the second half of the year. And he wasn't sitting, like, we don't go in there, like, there's no vitriol for Jamal Murray sitting the first half of back-to-backs coming off an ACL. There's no vitriol for Joe Ingles sitting the second half of back-to-backs coming off an ACL. There's no vitriol for Al Horford sitting every single back-to-back because of back spasms, which were fake. No one says anything about any of those things. But Kawhi coming off an injury, which is a significant injury, the torn ACL, and sat some back-to-backs early in the season. Again, played them at the end and was playing back-to-backs before he tore his ACL too. But the narrative around Kawhi is that, well, he only plays one game. I got into an argument with a bloke who told me Kawhi plays only one game a week. He plays less games than NFL players, which is just stretching the the truth so far that you can see through it. It becomes transparent. It's 
bullshit. He had injuries. Yes, he did. He played 52 games. Yes, because of the weird knee swelling at the start of the year and the ankle problem. But he played a ton of minutes. Like he was playing 36, 37 minutes a game. And he ended up, and this is a long-winded thing on him because it's important to note. He ended up 18th in per game value, 27th in points value. He's 55th in total value. He was drafted at ADP 25. I think in the end, like especially you play through fantasy playoffs, that's a win at ADP 25. He produced higher than that number through the second half of the season all of the time. He he easily beat that number. So I, I while you know picking him in that spot, I didn't know that he'd be have a knee setback or he'd sprain his ankle at the start of the year, which makes picking him around in the start of round three, end of round two, seems silly. I think in the end, he was fine. This I'm talking a lot on Kawhi because it's important. It brings us back to next season with now a torn meniscus, which is not a great injury. This is going to lead to torn meniscuses. While they're not as serious as an ACL, they tend to, I believe, have worse longer-term outcomes because it ends up with... Um, cushioning issues, arthritic type issues, and he's already got a bung knee. This is a real worry to me. This is a situation where coming off a meniscus, coming off an ACL, which is what happened to him, he will go back to sitting back-to-backs because of this knee surgery, I'm certain. Again, no one criticized Colin Sexton for sitting games missed after a meniscus repair. He will sit back-to-backs again, but this now leads to a little bit more of how do the minutes look with him, um, how does the knee actually respond? Because again, it's not about him not wanting to play. He played absolutely gigantic minutes. I think he was totals from January onwards, like the fifth best player overall in fantasy. Like he played tons of minutes. And people will argue, and there'll be people you watching this, we go, well, Josh, if he sat all those games for back-to-backs and still got injured, then it's clear that resting doesn't work. And that is just the worst conclusion you can take from that. People will get injured at all points. It's about putting, trying to reduce stress that gets put on bodies. It's about reducing the risk for injuries. Like if he had have played all back-to-back straight off the ACL, there's no, what if he, like you can't, we can't know this because we don't have two Kawhis to run simultaneously, but he could have retorn his ACL at the start of November because there was too much load on it and stress on it for playing big minutes every single night straight away. So the fact that he tore his meniscus is not proof that resting games off an injury is the is you know foolish and doesn't prove anything. I would say that the fact that they were able to manage some of his minutes enabled him to play gigantic minutes, gigantic loads all the way down the stretch to pull this team into where they finished in the, in the the standings and look absolutely dangerous at the start of the playoffs. And then of course an injury happened. So that that's I think there is a misconception about this load management stuff that gets thrown out all the time. Now in saying all of this, I don't think I want to draft Kawhi Next season, I'm, I'm at age 32 with this injury, which can lead to arthritic type conditions. I'm a little worried about it. Let's talk about what he actually did though. 34 minutes, 26 usage, 24 points, two threes, four assists, six and a half rebounds, 1.4 steals, 51, 42, 87. These are elite numbers. He's ranked fourth in Darko with a plus five. Look at that graph. There was a drop for him because he was so, so good before, but still unbelievably good. 99th percentile EPM, 93rd percentile LeBron. Like he is an elite player. He is top 10 at worst. He's probably a top five player in the NBA. But just another significant knee injury is a problem. Look at this points graph. Look, it is frustrating that there were these dots or these spaces in the middle where he sat games on the back-to-backs as recovery from a serious injury, which is the ACL. As every player returning from ACL injuries does. This is not exclusive to Kawhi. 
And then he had that stretch in the middle at the start of the season where he sprained his ankle, which again, just shit luck. And he gets a lot of shit luck. And we have very little faith in where he goes from here, obviously. But as a player, the minutes, the production, I would still draft him. It'll just need to be a little bit later as I am, again, worried about how this knee responds from this next surgery. That worries me. You can see all those blue dots on that graph at the start and how he did struggle. And then once he got rolling, just just dominant Kawhi again. That's how good he is. And it's really sad for him and for basketball fans and for this team to have a guy this good that like he just the body just gives out, and that's that's not his fault. It's and it's a, but all, all all you need, as the Raptors showed, is to stay healthy one postseason and for the next guy to stay healthy as well, and you're in with a chance. And I think that's why again they won't blow it up because all, that's all it takes: stay healthy for three months. Get us there. If he doesn't tear his meniscus, could they have beaten the Suns? If Paul George is available, could they have beaten the Suns? Sure. They could have. It's frustrating. Let's talk about Paulie George, who, again, just cops weird injuries. And I talked about this. I, I don't know where I talked about it on a podcast. People said, man, all these players, they just sit and they miss games. And yeah, it's always always injured. I think part of the issue is, is the more you are on the court, the more minutes you play, the more likelihood you are to be in a situation like Paul George where you go up for a rebound and you land and your knee buckles backwards. It's got nothing to do with him as a person. It's got nothing to do with his body. It's got nothing to do with anything. It's just the more opportunities that you have for something to go wrong, the more likelihood there is for that to go wrong. So, and you'll see like, oh, so many of these stars miss all these games with these injuries. Yeah, because they're playing more minutes and they're in more high leverage situations and high pressure situations. So this, the opportunities for yeah, him to jump up, grab a rebound, and his knee to bounce backwards or for to go up for something and for him to land on someone's foot, it's way more for him than it is for Musa Diabete or for Jason Preston, who plays 100 minutes for the season. The opportunities for those things to happen for those high-end players, KD and Paul George and Kawhi and whoever, and Embiid, they're just in more of those collisions and more of those situations. So Paul George missed a bunch of time the year before. Does him having COVID tearing an elbow ligament and having a knee sprain, are any of those things related? Are any of those to do with because he's soft? Are any of those due, uh, due to him being uh, unreliable or are they just a bunch of shit luck or him breaking his leg in the Olympic warm-up game and snapping it on the um, uh, on the, the stanchion? Is that because there's something fundamentally wrong with Paul George or is it just a bunch of shit luck? I always put it down to shit luck. And I, I will do the, the study again this season to show... Yeah, games played year on year and correlations. But when I did it last year and for the year before that and for the year before that and for the year before that, there was no strong correlation at all. It was like a 0.3 R squared, which is just weak. Meaning that games played one year doesn't necessarily translate to games played the next year. And there are examples. Obviously, Paul George has been injured the last couple. But it doesn't mean he's going to be injured again. He was 20th in per game numbers, 24th in minus one. He was drafted 21. And look, honestly... That is all great, but the problem with him is he got hurt at the end of the year and wasn't there for your fantasy playoffs. But otherwise, he was about sort of what we wanted. He's 33. He's older than Kawhi. 56 games, 35 minutes, 29 usage, 24 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. Look, it's an unbelievably good season. 37% from 3, 46 overall. Darko's got him 10th at 4.3, 95th percentile EPM, strong graph. Like, he's really, really good. It's just frustrating now that the last two seasons for George... He's missed time down the stretch. 
And like, can I sit there and go, well, you know, the, the, the now Paul George has a much higher likelihood of jumping for a rebound and having his knee bend backwards on itself at in March next season than any other player who plays good minutes? No, I, I don't think you can say that at all. I just think that it has been highly unlucky. He will probably slide, I would guess, out of the second round next season. And if he's available in the mid-third, I will almost definitely take him. But there are going to be frustrations. You also, now, the, the, in saying all that, you can see the gaps on this graph here. Paul George had a bunch of hamstring injuries and they actually, they actually brought him back for all of the talk of, well, these guys never want to play and they sit out too long. He actually rushed back too early from that hamstring injury and that's why it re-aggravated. You can see at the start there, around the start of December, he had a hammy. He came back and he re-injured it. Silliness. You know, I'll always tell teams that they come, well, I won't tell them because they don't listen to me, but I will say to you, they rush players back. There's always going to be aggravation risks from hamstring in the NBA. I don't know why they do it, but they do it consistently and soft tissue injuries in general. And he had that ongoing hamstring problem. So Paul George didn't sit every back-to-back because he couldn't be bothered playing. He had a hamstring injury, and then he hurt his knee at the end of the year. And that's why he played just 56 games. Again, always understanding the versus the narrative you get told, the reality of the situation. Paul George sat games because he had a hamstring injury. He didn't sit games. He was injured. And they are very, very different things. Again, he's still really good. And if these two guys are out there playing, they are really good. This team is really good. And that's the frustrating thing. And that's why, again, I don't think they're going to be making any big moves to do that or to blow this up. Let's talk about Ivica Zubats. 103rd ranked player, 76th in totals. He played a lot. 101st, minus one rank, 102 ADP. So he basically just banged on, gave you the value. But he played a lot. 76 games. He's 26 years of age, 29 minutes, 14 usage. Now, we saw this team not have a backup center. And at the start of the year, when they didn't have Kawhi available, they were playing him big, big minutes. In the past, they've refused to give Zubats minutes. They played him like 24, 25 minutes a night, relatively consistently. And then he was getting big. We thought, oh, there's a possibility he plays big minutes at the start of the year um, or big minutes this season because there's no backup. Um, And then it happened. But then when Kawhi returned and they were able to go small and play Batum and Morris, not Covington because they refused to play him, and even Kawhi at center, that they limited Zubats. This is a team with this roster and this lineup that does not believe in a big minute starting center. And Zubats' production, while he was really solid, and we'll go on onto this graph and show you here, that like the red line is the minutes. Like it was big enough early on and had a few you know, big, big minute games that it did drop off as the season went on. And then he got injured. Um, and then we saw Mason Plumley arrive and he went back to a minute split. So these numbers of 11 points, 10 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, 63% also ties into what I've talked about with centers and rankings is that this is a, this is a, a two category or three category player, rebounds, blocks, and field goals. That's it. That's all he brings. Low points, no threes, no assists, no steals, bad free throws. He's a three-category player. And that 29 minutes a night, I would think, probably doesn't hit that number next season. If Plumlee is back, I think they'll go back to him being a 26-minute-a-night player. He's sort of impactful. Like, he's he's pretty strong, but that's just not what this team believes in. 73rd percentile EPM. Like, he's pretty strong there. He's good estimated wins. He's LeBron is all right. He's Darko's all right. He's sort of a league average player. But they're not going to pump 33 minutes a night into him, I don't think. Interestingly, when Plumlee arrived, his actual EPM and, and value increased. He was playing a smaller role, and that probably suited him. And I would imagine they have a bunch of internal metrics on this that they think that he can be more impactful playing a smaller role, a minute split role, and that helps our team. And they were pretty good. 
down the stretch when that was happening. Let's talk about Westbrook. And the first thing you're going to look at if you are watching this is that that Darko graph, which is holy shit. Look at the drop-off over the last three years. It is on the way down. Westbrook's season, like a lot of the players on this team, is something we break up into a couple of chunks. In category leagues, he was 114th. In minus one, he was 97th because you, know, you can take away his worst category. Is that field goals or free throws? It's probably free throws. And then that helps him. In points league, still 58 and 42 in totals. His ADP was 101. Now, he was a guy that I was just, I don't want anything to do with him draft day because A, there's just too many negatives for him in category leagues. And B, I just didn't know what his minutes downside was because I thought that there was a chance that he gets traded and a team doesn't want to buy him out initially. And he, Andre Iguodala's his way and sits for four months and doesn't play. So it was a literal downside of zero minutes. Now, he did play off the bench for the Lakers and really struggled. Then was traded to the Jazz and sort of sat there for a week or two before getting bought out and then joined the Clippers and found himself in a larger role because Paul George was out. Because when that team was healthy, he would start, which I didn't really believe in, and he's really struggled to fit in initially, and would play like 27 minutes a night. Now, he had some really strong performances in the playoffs for sure, but he also had like, what, a 3 of 19 and a 3 of 18 shooting performance. And as as I'll always say about Westbrook, he can put up big numbers, but if you're putting him in a position to put up big numbers, your team is going to be bad. And that was the case that the minutes were, the numbers were able to be good for him in the playoffs because there was no Kawhi and no Paul George. And he was able to put up the good usage, but doesn't lead you to anything, does it? 16 points, a three, six rebounds, seven and a half assists, a steal, 44, 31, and 66%. Like they're bad percentages across the board. His advanced stats are okay. LeBron had him as a negative in the 40th percentile. EPM was all right. Darko had him 125th. Yeah, that graph is obviously on the downturn. He's 34. He'll be 35. Um, uh, in the beginning of the season. And like, I just think that there will be situations where it's all going to depend on where he goes. But if you are putting the ball in Westbrook's hand to be your driver of offense, you will have a mid-team. You will be mediocre. You will have games where he puts up big numbers. You have games where he costs you the game. And you'll have defensive performances like he did in game one, I think it was, against the Clippers, where he was unbelievable defensively on Devin Booker. And then you'll have games where he doesn't bring that and shoots 20% and kills you because he's taking shots when other players should be. And while he improved with that throughout this season, the problem's not solved. He's still going to have that in his head, I would guess. And I think, again, it's going to depend on where he is. But if he's back on this Clippers team, I wouldn't draft him in category leagues. And even in points leagues, I'd be very, very hesitant to draft him, like 58th per game. Like I don't think he gets to that because there's so much of what he was doing there was without Paul George, and he's probably more of a 70s to 80s guy. And while we could see that on that Darko graph, the decline's been pretty steep, it's, it still actually can get worse. It still can get worse for Russ. Still an unbelievable uh, athlete. You can see how much his impact improved when he was with the Clippers. Everything made more sense from there, and he did prove me wrong, because I didn't think he'd have anywhere near that impact he had. But I think it also... There's, also, there's a narrative with Westbrook that gets thrown around, like the fact that he was at one point favorite for six man of the year, which was insane. The fact that he was favorite for six man of the year is because, oh my God, he accepted coming off the bench. By no stretch was he the best bench player in the NBA. He was not even close to it. He still was costing that team games. But, and the same thing here will happen with the Clippers. Where look, oh man, he resurrected his career. Yeah, someone's got to pay Russ. He's still got it. And I don't, that's not true, I don't think. I think having the smaller role, is important for him. And he did play way better than I thought he would with the Clippers. He still has insane athleticism, but there is still the decision-making and the shooting problems, which lead to gummed up offenses and sometimes lazy defenses. So 
role and what team he is on is going to be really intriguing, but I am not expecting any sort of renaissance for him moving forward. Let's talk Mason Plumley, who I called the cockroach because he just wouldn't die. He just was always, they were constantly giving him minutes in Charlotte, even though they drafted a lottery or not an outside the lottery big man in, in Mark Williams, and they weren't going anywhere with Plumley. And I got pushback from people on this, man. What are you talking about? He's clearly the better center on that team. He should be getting these minutes. And this is where I talk about what I said earlier in terms of you know, teams tanking. Like the Hornets weren't going anywhere. It made no sense for an impending unrestricted free agent who's 33 years of age when you've got a young rookie who's shown he can be not far off where Plumley is. There's just no point for Plumley to be out there playing those minutes. None whatsoever. And people say, oh, yeah, they're showcasing him for a trade. What did they get back? A, a second-round pick? Like nothing. Didn't do anything for him. It just really impacted the value of Mark Williams or impacted some of the development of Mark Williams. And Plumley now is in the role that he needs to be in, backup center. He played 79 games, 26 minutes, 15 usage, 11 points, 9 rebounds, no blocks, 0.6, which is bad, 68 and 64 from the field and from the line. He's still like useful enough. The advanced stuff is pretty good. It's around that Zubats and Westbrook area in terms of impact. But as you can see, when we bring the fantasy points graph up, once he joined the Clippers, the red line is minutes dropped way down. The blue line is production dropped way down. And this is going to, I didn't think that he would necessarily be a useful player this season. He was. He was a useful player for most of the season, and I didn't really buy into that. But you know, I was probably a little late on that, to be honest. And he wasn't even drafted. 5% of leagues he was drafted, so no one really bought that. Everyone thought, oh, at some point, they'll give Williams a, a crack. And while I probably should have been more aggressive in this, I said, hey, Steve Clifford, he just doesn't play rookies. I didn't think he'd be this aggressive on playing Mason Plumley over Mark Williams. But now we're done, I think, with Mason Plumley in category leagues. No one is going to be signing him in free agency to be their starting center. And even if he plays you know, 23 minutes a night in LA it, for the Clippers, it doesn't matter. It's not important for um, the future. Impact-wise, he was worse in LA than he was in Charlotte, interestingly enough. But I think as a regular season or as a fantasy contributor, I think we're pretty done with him. Let's talk Storm and Norman Powell who's one of those interesting players who again gets the boost because he'll have the big scoring nights. And you know my, you, uh, you should know my take on Norman Powell from a fantasy perspective. When the usage is there and the minutes are there and the shots go in, it's great. It's all rosy. But what else do you do? He was 139th in category leagues, 138th in points leagues, he had an ADP of 127. He's 30 now. He played 26 minutes a night. He had an injury towards the end of the season, which cost him a lot of time. 17 points a game, which is really good. 48 and uh, from the field and 40 from three is really good. But under three rebounds, under two assists, under a steal. They're all bad. No no, um, no blocks. And this is why he's not a great fantasy player. He needs to be in a situation where he just gets 32 usage and plays 30 minutes a night and puts up 20 points on good efficiency. But on a team with now Westbrook and Kawhi and Paul George, he's a bench player who plays 25, 26 minutes, that relies on absolutely elite shooting and doesn't do anything else. If they did blow it up, I guess, in, and they traded Paul George and Kawhi, like Norman Powell is not the future of any good team moving forward. He's 30 and he's not that good anyway. So he, and when I talked about, you know, moving on from guys, he'd probably have to be in that mix because he's not bringing you anything. Maybe they hold him there for one year, but again, I don't think this is even a possibility. And with Kawhi, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, we assume Westbrook's back. 
Powell is going to be in this similar small role again. The advanced stuff really doesn't like him. 59th percentile in estimated wins, 288th in Darko. You can see the big drop in his Darko graph joining the Clippers. And that 30 years of age, downward trend. He's a solid player. He's a good scoring boost guy. 17 points is nothing to sneeze at. But also remember, in a 12-team league, 17 points is an average production. It's average. And then everything else there, rebounds below average, assists below average, steals below average, blocks below average, threes below average, field goal percentage right on average, free throw percentage marginally above average. It requires a lot of minutes and a lot of usage to get him where he needs to go. Injuries hurt him this season for sure. Um, Yeah, that shoulder problem towards the end of the season. Came back, was fine. But the way the roster looks, I just don't see this big role for Norman Powell coming. And he is older than you think. Speaking of older than you think, Eric Gordon's 34 years of age. He wasn't drafted anywhere, rightfully so. His season was split between the Rockets and the Clippers. He started basically all season for the Rockets, went to the Clippers and sort of in and out of lineups and rotations and played some backup point guard and they'd limit his minutes and they'd start him. It was all over the shop. But he wasn't a useful player this season and he won't be in the future. 12 points, two threes, three assists, 29 minutes, 18 usage. Almost no way he hits that 29 usage next season. You can see that Eric Gordon's Darko graph is trending downwards. That's what you expect. You're age 34. And he's got another year left on his deal. And that's another reason why you know, when we talk about Norman Powell and when we get to Bones Highland later on, is that these guys are all still around. Maybe they should look to move on from Eric Gordon. But I think you know, having these guys acquired at the trade deadline, they've got to let's see what they can do for a full season. Let's see what he can produce. Like We don't need 29 minutes a night of Eric Gordon, but if we can get 20 minutes a night from him, who can defend bigger players and stronger players and provide shooting and some passing. There's value in that. It's great for this team having flexibility, but this is why look, this team relies upon all old players. There's no young guys really coming through. And that is why I think that they go for it again one more year. The EPM, like he's just solid enough, filling his role. The fantasy relevancy of Gordon is done. Let's talk about an actual Young player, the big stiffy, the five-minute man, Bones Highland. There was quite a bit of hype for Bones in the offseason. I pushed back on it somewhat, but I also still overvalued him. I was looking at him probably around 120 in drafts, thinking, okay, he'll play 20 minutes a night for Denver. That's enough to get you a couple of threes, a little bit of scoring boost, some passing. Um, there were erroneous reports out of Denver that you know Jamal Murray wouldn't play big minutes. He'd be limited until January, which is clearly bullshit. And we, we called that at the time, but Bones really regressed. And... The problem I'm having a little bit here with Bones is the fact that you're on a team with Nikola Jokic, who you know, some might argue is the best player in the NBA, probably is. You're on a team with Nikola Jokic. You're on a team that's the number one seed in the Western Conference, yet you make yourself so toxic to that team that they trade you away in the middle of your second season after spending a first-round pick on you for nothing in return. A second-round pick and what? And Thomas, not even Thomas Bryant, they get nothing. They got nothing back. Nothing of any use at all. They traded him away for nothing because he was so toxic to a team. And a guy who's in his second season who is on a winning team and has a role on the winning team but is prioritizing something different to that is just a giant red flag. Now, he's young. He's 22. Probably a little bit older than you think. 23 in the beginning of next season. That's a real problem to me. And then, yeah, shit-talking Jamal Murray as soon as he's traded. And then, of course, get DMPs for the Clippers. 
He ended up 209th this season. He averaged 12 points with two threes in 19 minutes, 27 usage. Shot under 40% from the field. Defensively, he was one of the worst players in the NBA. His Darko was bad. His LeBron was bad. His EPM was bad. Darko Graf really saw him drop off considerably. He really struggled. He, he didn't really show me anything for the Clippers where it was as well. Clearly, there was just something off in Denver. I'm a, I am a, a Bones fan as a player. But again, on this team, what's his role going to be? Can he work into a larger one next season? He is one of the only young players on this team. But yeah, I don't see him working into a 25-minute-a-night role next season. This might be a real dynasty buy low for the next two to three years. I think that's possible. But look at towards the end here, like in this points graph. Look at the DMPs. That's not just all in Denver. That's in LA as well. He was out of the rotation because there's other guys there. And with only Westbrook and Plumlee as their free agents, who they likely bring back, and they can make other moves. I don't see this big opportunity for Bones, nor do I think that he's deserved this big opportunity. I still like him for the future. I still think he can be a 26, 27 minute a night, probably sixth man. But I think that starter upside for him took a gigantic hit. And I worry a little bit about the fact that he basically just, they just said, this bloke is so annoying or so toxic, we will give him away for nothing in year two as a high-profile upside first-round pick. That's bad news. He's got plenty of time to reverse that, but that's bad news. He was all right. Like, he improved some of his impact in LA, but again, when we talk about the future for him, I am i don't think it's going to uh, deliver this season. Marcus Morris. I am anti-Marcus Morris. I have been for a long time. I think he gets significantly overvalued by players and coaches. And Ty Lu really overvalues him as well. But I think towards the end of the season, it just got too much. And Lu finally had to relent. 2013 category leagues. He was drafted at 139 in 10% of leagues. That was his average. He's 34. He played 28 minutes a night, 17 usage, 11 points, shot 37 from three, four rebounds, 0.63. The way he's been able, 0.6 steals. The way he's been able to have success in fantasy was outsized minutes in usage because other players were injured or on a shit team like the Knicks or the Pistons. And even then, his inability to get rebounds, assists, steals, or blocks has always held him back from being a good fantasy player. And we have no business in drafting him in 12s or 14-team leagues. He's almost no chance of being a top 200 guy moving forward. The decline was significant. The advanced stats um, will show that as well. He was, he's 357th in Darko. He is at real risk to me of being a fringe rotation, fringe rotation player and not a starter anymore. He shouldn't start. Whether they go back to him or not, I don't know because you know the faith that they have in Robert Covington is non-existent. Batum is just as old. So I, I don't think there's anything to see here with Marcus Morris. That red line above the blue line on the fantasy points graph is always a bad sign. That's less than a fantasy point per minute significantly. And you can see the production drop as the season went on as Tyloo realized, yeah, look, yeah, we're done with this guy. Like, it, I can't deal with it anymore. Like, I can't, like his favoritism of him couldn't, subsist through the rest of that season because it became glaringly obvious. Now, Ty Lue doesn't always re react well to the obvious situations. And part of the obvious situations would be playing more Robert Covington, but also playing more Terrence Mann. And I think part of the downside of the Russell Westbrook acquisition was the limiting of Terrence Mann. Now, you could still have played Terrence Mann by limiting Marcus Morris and just giving Mann 29 minutes a night, but Lou did not do that. Now, Mann is not a great fantasy player. He was 225th in categories, 230th in points leagues. He's still, he's 26. So he's older than you might think. Obviously, he's a second round player, older second round player. He played 81 games, 23 minutes, averaged nine points with 
three and a half rebounds and two and a half assists. And the way he gets talked about, including by me, makes you think that he's a lot better than he is. I think he's a really important piece that functions very well next to Kawhi and Paul George, can play the one, two, three, or four, can have his hot moments, but overall, he's just a winning player. His advanced stats are all pretty strong. They're not blowing us away, but they're pretty strong, apart from LeBron, which doesn't like him. But Darko's seeing him improve consistently. But I don't think that Terrence Mann ever has top 80 category league upside, ever. He might be able to sneak a couple of top 100 seasons in, but he's just a guy that can sort of play as this weird hybrid point guard, but it doesn't always generate usage or assist rate. He can shoot the ball well at times, like 52 and 39 from the field and from three is really strong. But volume is not there. It's never going to be there on this team. He is a really useful player and he'll have moments, but Lou does not seem to believe in him the way that most outsiders do. And that's going to put a cap on what he does. And I think, again, understanding that, well, we can criticize Ty Lue for that. Terrence Mann's not this elite prospect, this elite all-star player waiting to be unleashed. He's just a really strong player and a really solid piece that fits next to these guys. I mean, is he better than Norman Powell? For certain things, yeah, absolutely he is. But when you've got him and Highland and Gordon and Powell all in the mix for these minutes, and then Westbrook, and then Morris, and then Batum, the upside there is just, while we, we could say and go, he should play 39, I probably agree with that. That would mean all of these other guys get limited somewhat too. And they all bring their little things, power scoring and driving and Gordon shooting and passing. And man just sort of does enough of little things that it doesn't always work that way. EPM, again, looked pretty strong most of the year, but lost out towards the end of the season. I still think it was some poor coaching to not get him the minutes that we think that he probably needed. But it's not egregiously bad, I don't believe. Now, there are a few players I'm not really going to talk about on this on this team. There's just too much here. Nick Batum, who's 34. Robert Covington's 32. Uh, I'm not going to go into details on those guys. Covington can still get some stuff done, but the trust just isn't there in this organization. Nick Batum has the occasional moment of solid production, but his value comes from low turnovers, which skews rankings for him. Because What did he turn it over? Like 0.6 times a game, which is nothing, um, but really didn't generate anything else positive. He had no positive single category in fantasy and still played 22 minutes a night. These are all interchangeable sort of pieces and maybe Batum plays more next year, but he's 34. I just don't know if Covington's ever going to do it either at age 32. These are guys whose best moments are behind them. But I wanted to talk about the last player here is BJ Boston. Not because I think he's going to have a big role, but because he's the only, outside of Highland, he's the only young player on this team that's worth talking about. There is Preston, there is Diabete, who are interesting. There's Amir Coffey, also not young. He's 26. I don't really buy him as a long-term starter, but BJ is an interesting player. Now, his numbers this year show us nothing. 11 minutes a game, 22 minutes, 22 games, six points. He shot 41% from three, but the volume is incredibly low. The advanced stuff is all pretty bad. The point, like he, he just never played. But when we talk about the team making moves to get better, this is probably one of the only assets they have left to do that. Because their draft picks are spoken for. They got Bones Highland in already. There's not many other tradable pieces, but if they're going to trade someone, it's him. He's 21. I think there is room for him to develop into a starting shooting guard in the NBA still. I'm not out on that. We've barely seen him over two years. I think he's got still significantly large enough upside for us in a dynasty league to see if he's just sitting there on the waiver wire to acquire him for nothing in a trade. I don't think it's going to happen for him on the Clippers. It's probably going to need a change of scenery, which might be in two years' time. I don't know. But I'm still having some level of belief in BJ Boston as an NBA player with starter caliber upside. Could he develop into Chris Middleton? That would be the dream. A 
I still I think that still is there as maybe a 10% chance, a 5%, well, not to 10, 5% chance. And when I compare that to Diabete, uh, uh, Coffee or Moon or Preston, you know, or their former two-way guy, Jay Scrub, when I compare what Boston's upside is to those guys, it's way higher. But on this team, there just isn't that availability of minutes or role or anything for him. So don't expect anything to change too much for Boston this season, but just a name again to remember that I still think there is value in him. Maybe that's misplaced. It could be. And that, guys, will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on Odyssey tomorrow. I think I'm going to do a 2022 redraft, understanding that hard to redraft after one year, but let's just do it. Let's just talk about how we value these players out of this draft. Follow me. I think I said that. Anyway, subscribe, YouTube, notification bell, comments. We're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.